Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So this episode is going to be a little out of this world. Dang it, I did it. Oh, man. Okay, I was... Uh, I was trying... Okay, we're talking about aliens today. <laughs> and I... When I sat down, I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make an outer space pun. And sure enough, I could not resist the temptation. Like, aren't I a Christian? Isn't Christianity all about resisting temptation to some degree or another, right? And here I go, opening up with an outer space pun. But on a much more serious and skeptical note, is there life in outer space? And would the Bible support such a view? Right? Because Jesus died for humans, as far as we can tell when we read. Does the Bible support other life, other life forms? Is there other forms of intelligence? Did Jesus die for them? Do they go to heaven? Like in the Bible, some of the authors look up to the heavens, like David does in the Psalms, and talks about the vastness and the splendor of God's handiwork and that God has numbered and named the stars. And I mean, I've, I've heard this, as probably many of you have, this preached in church, and oftentimes the pastor preaching it will bring up like, we can't even count the stars, and God has numbered and named them all. And that's very true. Like, we still don't have a fully accurate count of all the stars in the night sky, and most of that reason is because not all of them are actually visible to us. But I am not an astronomer, so I'm not going to talk about scientific facts about space. So let's get right to it. The answer to are there aliens or not, is I don't know. And you don't know. And go ahead and Google it because no one actually knows if there are aliens or other life forms in space. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of articles about the likelihood, statistical probability that there are aliens. And man, they range all the way from, you know, 0.0001% all the way up to like 99%. And there's a good majority of them falling in the middle of like, well, yeah, it's a 50-50 shot that there's aliens out there. And and people break down the likelihood that planets can support life out there. And there's all kinds of mathematic statistics. But that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss, can the Bible support such a view? You know, it, it used to be a thought that if life in outer space was discovered that some religions and some religious leaders and practicers of certain faiths, including Christianity, would be enraged because the possibility that one of those aliens could have come down and pretended to be a religious leader or pretended to be Jesus himself would throw the monkey wrench into the whole religious system. But that's obviously, uh, and maybe it's not obvious, but to me it's obviously a very easily refuted argument that no, if aliens existed, and if extraterrestrials existed, it doesn't throw a monkey wrench into Christianity, at least. And I'll speak for Christianity. Maybe it does to other religions, and I'm not going to cover those, because this is the Christian skeptic, after all. So really, to, I guess, just boil down, and I'm going to put the cart before the horse a little bit in this episode, but I'm going to give the answers before the explanation. So to boil it all down, no, it's not unchristian to think that there's life outside of this earth. Actually, C.S. Lewis 
proposed that there might very well be life outside of this earth. And in a second, I'll read you some of his proposal of this, and because I think we need to get a little bit deeper into the explanation before we see what Lewis has to say on this. But suffice it to say, if there is life outside of earth, if tonight you go look up at the night sky and you see a star far, far away, light years and light years away, and you just so happen to be looking at a star with a planet orbiting around it, that is one of the planets that can sustain biological life and this doesn't necessarily mean there has to be life. There can be something different than life out there too, or even life as we know it on Earth. But let's say you're looking at that star that has that planet orbiting around it, and on that planet are life forms that God made. Then it doesn't break any consistency with Christianity, the Christian gospel, Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection. And quite simply, part of this reasoning is because there the Bible talks about creatures in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Daniel, in Revelation, that we can't even understand what they look like. Like the authors see these things and they're like, well, it kind of had, you know, the head of a lion and, and, and the body of this and, and it had wings and it was covered in eyes and, and this is kind of what it looked like, right? And, and Revelation's full of this image of, of, of these, you know, John talks about these locusts and well, they kind of have like uh, a hair like a lion and they're kind of wearing crowns and, and it's like, what the heck is he talking about? I don't know yet. We haven't seen it. And there exists in the heavenly realm creatures that worship, praise, and glorify God that the Bible talks about that we haven't seen yet. So, therefore then, I think, and I'm of the mindset, that it's actually very likely there are other life forms outside of this earth. And we will probably never see them this side of eternity. Because it's just too far. It's just not feasible for humans to peer into other universes and planets that are light years and light years and light years away. So what does that do for the cross then? What does that do for Christianity? Does it make it less significant? Does it make us less significant? Well, yes and no. And so now I want to turn to C.S. Lewis. And if you've been listening to this podcast for some time, you know it's typically my style to paraphrase someone when I reference them and what they have to say. But I'm actually going to read like an entire page of C.S. Lewis's book called Miracles from a chapter called A Chapter of Red Herrings. C.S. Lewis writes, Whatever space may really be, it is certain that our perceptions make it appear three-dimensional. And to a three-dimensional space, no boundaries are conceivable. By the very forms of our perceptions, therefore, we must feel as if we lived somewhere in infinite space. And whatever size the earth happens to be, it must, of course, be very small in comparison with infinity. And this infinite space must either be empty or contain bodies. If it were empty, it contained nothing but our own sun, and then the vast vacancy would certainly be used as an argument against the very existence of God. Why, it would be asked, should he create one, speak, and leave all the rest of space to non-entity? If, on the other hand, we find, as we actually do, countless bodies floating in space, they must either be habitable or uninhabitable. Now, the odd thing is that both alternatives are equally used as objections to Christianity. If the universe is teeming with life other than ours, then this, we are told, makes it quite ridiculous to believe that God should be so concerned with the human race as to, quote-unquote, come down from heaven and be made man for its redemption. If, on the other hand, our planet is really unique in harboring organic life, then this is thought to prove that life is only an accidental byproduct in the universe and so, again, to disprove our religion. We treat God as the policeman. In every story, treated the suspect. Whatever he does, quote, will be used in evidence against him, unquote. This kind of objection to the Christian faith 
is not really based on the observed nature of the actual universe at all. You can make it without waiting to find out what the universe is like, for it will fit any kind of universe we choose to imagine. The doctor here can diagnose poison without looking at the corpse, for he has a theory of poison which he will maintain whatever the state of the organs turn out to be. The reason we cannot even imagine a universe so built as to exclude these objections is perhaps as follows. Man is a finite creature who has sense enough to know that he is finite. Therefore, in any conceivable view, he finds himself dwarfed by reality as a whole. He is also a derivative being. The cause of his existence lies not in himself, but immediately in his parents and ultimately either in the character of nature as a whole or, if there is a God, in God. But there must be something. Whether it be God or the totality of nature which exists in its own right or goes, quote-unquote, of its own accord, not as the product of causes beyond itself, but simply because it does. In the face that something, whatever it turns out to be, man must feel his own derived exist existence to be unimportant, irrelevant, almost accidental. There is no question of, of religious people fancying that all exists for man and scientific people discovering that it does not. Whether the ultimate and inexplicable being that which simply is, turns out to be God or, quote-unquote, the whole show? Of course it does not exist for us. On either view, we are faced with something which existed before the human race appeared and will exist after Earth has become uninhabitable, which is utterly independent of us, though we are totally dependent on it, and which, through vast ranges of its being, has no relevance to our own hopes and fears. For no man was, I suppose, ever so mad as to think that man, or all creation, filled with the divine mind, if we are the small thing to space and time, space and time are a much smaller thing to God. It is a profound mistake to imagine Christianity ever intended to dissipate the bewilderment and even the terror, the sense of our own nothingness, which come upon us we, when we think about the nature of things. It comes to intensify them. Without such sensations, there is no religion. Many a man brought up in the glib profession of some shallow form of Christianity who comes through reading astronomy to realize for the first time how majestically indifferent most of reality is to man, and who perhaps abandons his religion on that account, may at the moment be having his first genuinely religious experience. Christianity does not involve the belief that all things were made for man. It does involve the belief that God loves man and for his sake became man and died. So you see why I had to read that, because it was just really, really good, and really, really on point. The conversation of whether they're aliens or not isn't a conversation that enhances or refutes theology, Christian theology, and Christian faith. And Lewis brings up a good point, that it's actually a very deeply Christian idea to believe that not all things were made for man, right? Which, look, I've heard as much as probably you guys have heard this quote-unquote Christian rebuttal for the theory of evolution from Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron, and I sigh ever mentioning those names on this podcast. Look, if you want a good laugh, look them up. Look up the banana thing. Um, it's the most ridiculous video I think I've ever seen on YouTube. Finish this episode, of course, but, like, my gosh, like, if you want to laugh... Look up Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron talking about evolution, but <laughs> because they have this idea of like, well, you know, clearly man didn't evolve because the banana was made for man, and he holds a banana in his hand, and he's like, look, 
there are three ridges in the banana, just like the three ridges in my hand, meaning the banana was meant to be held by man. And you can peel it, just like opening a soda can. And it's like, oh, it's the most cringy like thing I've ever seen on like Christians trying to talk scientifically, because it's just not Christian and not scientific. It's just awful. But <laughs> I bring that up for, for a reason. Um, even though that frustrates me to no end. The reason is that the church, Christian, Christian leaders have been guilty now for some time of thinking that the earth was made for man. And, and it is kind of funny how this view seeps into our culture quite a bit. And, and I don't want this conversation to be about this issue, but when we get to the issue of climate change, it's easy to see how climate change is rooted in bad Christian theology. When, when you think about it, right? Because, you know, 100 years ago, we didn't care about climate change. But 100 years ago, we started to try to disprove evolution. And, and Christian leaders, uh, poor Christian leaders, not Christian leaders like C.S. Lewis, who, um, you know, did nothing to argue against evolution. And many think he actually believed in evolution himself. But but poor Christian leaders who would argue against evolution would, would bring up the point that nature was made for man, right? That, that nature serves us. And the Bible does say to go subdue nature, but it doesn't just say nature's going to lay down and serve you, right? And, and subdue doesn't mean nature, make nature your slave either. Subdue means to control. It means to form. It means to shape it, right? It means to make buildings. It means to take care of it as well, tend to it like you would a garden, like the Garden of Eden. It's almost like that's what God intended for us in nature to be mutually exclusive, but mutually harmonious as well. And so it's been bad Christian thinking then that says nature's made for us, right? And and then fast forward to today, and again, you know, I, I think we have a Christian duty to take care of the earth, to take care of the climate, to not pollute or destroy it any more than is necessary. But I, I feel like a lot of the issue of climate change is rooted in this idea that nature is supposed to take care of us. And it's like... I don't know, the climate's changed a lot over the course of all of its existence, and it's going to continue to change on its own, whatever, like regardless of whatever we do to help or hurt that process. And so again, I'm, I'm not saying don't recycle, because that's not Christian. No, I think it's actually really Christian to recycle. It's really Christian to pick up trash. It's really Christian to not destroy our environment, to tend and to till and to subdue the earth, which is to take care of it. But I think our obsession with it is the same bad theology that says it's going to take care of us in return. Because it's not. It's hostile towards us. And even if we take the evolutionary stance, like, there's predators out there. And we're predators as well, but we're also prey. And they, they aren't big predators. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're bears and sharks and alligators. But sometimes they're like mosquitoes carrying awful diseases and ticks and, and these tiny and snakes, right? These tiny little things that can kill us in, in, in a moment's instance. And so it's like nature is very hostile towards us. And Lewis's point is you look up at the stars, they're not there to serve you. They're there to serve God. They're there to glorify God. And if God wants to make something else that can live among those stars that we're looking at, if God wants to force other planets to breathe life, to grow, to worship and glorify him, Look, there's already creatures in heaven that we've never seen and won't see till we get there. Maybe there are creatures in this universe, this side of heaven, that we haven't seen and won't see till we get there. And this doesn't take away from the cross, actually, of those creatures. 
Peter actually writes of the angels in 1 Peter. He says, to the angels, the gospel was revealed. That, that when from the foundation of this world, in Genesis chapter 3, when God promised the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and then thousands of years later, he did that on the cross by having his heel bruised, by tasting death, and then rising from the grave and crushing the head of the serpent, crushing death forever. Peter writes, that was revealed to the angels, not to themselves. And now I quote from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, but to us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Other translations say things which angels marvel and would like to know about. And, and Peter paints this picture of the angels and the other creatures in heaven peering down, almost like, like peeking over into the earth with, with wild bewilderment, astonishment, trying to get that glimpse of what is going on and, and marveling, having amazement that God, creator God, would step onto this planet, this tiny little planet in the Milky Way galaxy that orbits the sun that we know, that he would step onto this planet and die and taste death at the hands of one of their fellow created beings, right? And, and by that, I'm referring to Satan, who was an angel, and, and even more crazy, at the hands of lower beings, humans, the religious leaders that wanted Jesus crucified, that God would do that and then be dead for three days and then rise out of the grave to become the first fruits of the resurrection so that these tiny, seemingly insignificant beings called humans on this planet that we call Earth would one day rise from the grave, enter into that eternal holy kingdom, and sit in judgment over the angels. And so, I don't know, if there's other creation out there, maybe they haven't sinned, but maybe they know about us, right? If, if there are extraterrestrials or aliens out there, maybe they haven't sinned, but maybe God's revealed his redemptive story on earth to them, and they're marveling, and they're, they're peeking over, and they're watching, and they're saying, wow, God did this for these people, and these people don't love him still, right? <laughs> it's nuts. Like, like the, the image in my mind that, that first sticks is, uh, if you've ever been to like a, a car show, and um, you see little kids at a car show, and they, they see like the, the cool you know, Corvette or whatever it is at the car show that they like, and you know they see the outside of it, but like, they've never been in one, so they want to know, well, what does the inside look Right, and they kind of stand up to the to the door of the car, and maybe they're they're too short to actually peer in. Maybe a Corvette's a bad example, but maybe a different sports car, and and it's like they're kind of standing on their tiptoes with their nose pointed up to the sky a little bit, and their eyes trying to peek in and see what's what's the inside of this thing look like, right? That's that's kind of the image I get when Peter talks about angels, marveling, wanting to know, peering into Earth. They're, they're like, man, I, I, see, I see this thing from the outside, but what's the inside like? What is it like to, to have received this great love from Creator God? Who, yeah, if you look up at the sky, you're going to feel pretty insignificant, right? And, and, and there might be thousands of other life forms more complex and more intelligent than us out there. And Christianity says that should make you feel more and more and more insignificant in the light of the vastness of the universe, the creation, and all of nature. 
but none of that changes the vastness, the audacity of God's love for us. And so don't, don't miss this. I mean, I, I, Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah chapter 40. It, it's, it's this chapter of, of basically Isaiah saying, behold your God. He loves you. He, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads the nursing. He's a loving God. He's a God that wants blessing. He's gentle. He's caring. He sees the details. But, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in a balance? God has right? <laughs> and who's ever counseled him, right? It goes on, verse 13. But it's like, yeah, um, God measures the universe with the span of his hand. That's, that's how crazy, overwhelming God is. And that God, Christianity says, is the God that loves you so much he'd die for you. So we got off on some tangents here. I think it was worth it. Let me know. Maybe you enjoyed this episode. Maybe you enjoyed the, the journey. Let me know what you think. As always, please write into the show if you have questions or you want to talk. Please, 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 please continue to share the show. It's always such a joy to to hear about, um, you know, if you've shared the show or if it's caused you to have a conversation with someone that maybe you wouldn't have had before. So if that's the case too, write into the show and tell me that. Tell me a, a cool conversation you've had because of listening to this podcast and sharing it with someone. I've been hearing about a few of those and uh, it really, really excites me to know that you guys are doing that. So thank you so much for that. And as always... Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.